This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Thanks a lot for tuning into the show because I've got Bill Steer from Carcass and he was formerly in Napalm Death, a conversation with him to share with you. Now, the catalyst for the chat with Bill is due to the release of the new album from Carcass titled Torn Arteries. It'll be out on September 17, 2021 via Nuclear Blast Records. It's an absolute cracker, I must say. Definitely one of the albums of the year thus far. Now, if you tuned into my chat with Carcass bassist and frontman Jeff Walker, that was an interesting conversation to say the least, but I did go there and I hit Jeff up and I asked him for his thoughts on the, what would you call it, my proposition, if you like, that Carcass is one of the groups that influenced, if not the sole influence, potentially. Anyway, one of the most significant influences, there you go over the Gothenburg sound, you know, those great bands that came from Sweden, such as Dark Tranquility, In Flames, and uh, the big one is At The Gates. Look, you know, we're fans. That's what I am. At the end of the day, I might be a journalist, but I am a fan first and foremost, so I develop these ideas, and uh, I just love the fact that I can have an opportunity to, or I get an opportunity to chat to an artist about these sort of topics. So, yeah, I asked Jeff, and... Those of you that tuned into that chat know what he said. Well, if you stick around, you'll find out what Bill has to say as well. So maybe it'll make Blabbermouth and all those other news aggregation sites. We shall see. Something else, Bill and I spoke for about, I reckon it was about 25-odd minutes or so before we actually get into the the meat and potatoes of the conversation. And I decided not to include that because we were just two blokes talking. So my first question, just so you're aware, is... When Bill was looking back on the deals that he signed when he was in Napalm Death and Carcass, you know, you've got to be a trusting person around these sorts of things. So as a question sort of lined up around that, what was his take on being such a trusting young musician and signing deals with Earache, that sort of thing? So I'll cut straight to it. Here he is, Bill Steer from Carcass. Really, you know the dark ages in terms of our development as a band and as, as people, because obviously we were just kids, teenagers. Um, and you're just delighted at the prospect of putting out a piece of vinyl. Um, and you're very grateful to the person or, or people that, that, that are responsible for doing that. Um, and as the cliche goes, you know, when you're 18 or whatever, you'll probably sign anything. Um, mm. So, yeah, I wouldn't say we really have any grudges from that time because it's just how things were. Um, and you certainly can't deny um, what it did be achieved with Eric because um, going back to that time, he was pretty much the only person we knew who took that type of music seriously and was prepared to put a little bit of money behind it and and push it forward. Um, I mean, hindsight's you know fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that point, I don't recall anybody else of substance doing what Dig was doing. I mean, sure, plenty of people caught up before long or did similar things, but he seemed like the pioneering guy around then. 
It just seems like he changed at some point because I've spoken to I've spoken to Mortis and I've spoken to a few other artists and they, they've just been fucked over to be honest with you. There's no other way to say it. And I think if if you met him in the eighties, it was a different person to what you got in the late nineties. And you know now they're a they're like a a rock label, aren't they? They've just mm. gone right out of yep. metal altogether. But yeah, I mean I know he's in business and he's got to sort of keep the lights on, but um. I mean, he's he's taken. Or actually, I'll ask you this: actually, with with your earlier stuff, Reek of Putrefaction and Symphonies, do they own that still, mm. or have you got ownership of that? Yeah, no, they they own it, to my knowledge. Um, Jeff would always be the best person to answer this type of question because he is the manager of Carcass, and he's mm. just very business minded. He's great with facts, figures, statistics, um, and lots of stuff to do with the past. I mean, that that kind of thing, it's so little a part of my, you know, daily worldview. Um, you know, I remember doing those records, and I'm glad that uh, they still have value for some people. Um, and it's fun playing this stuff live when, when we, you know, when we are out there doing our thing. Um, but, you know, what took place in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, mm. I'd, I'd just rather not dwell on it too much. Is it is it weird for you? I got I got to go there and ask this. You've appeared mm. on four or five of the most continuously influential albums ever recorded in extreme metal. So Scum, from Enslavement to Obliteration, and then Putrefaction and uh, Symphonies of Sickness. Do, mm. <laughs> I get I get hundreds of new releases sent to me each month. So literally tens each week. And I said mm. this to Jeff, and this is more pertinent for you because you appeared on all these four albums. I reckon mm. about twenty percent of the stuff I get sounds like those four albums. Do you, wow. do, you, do you do you ever sort of stop to sort of take stock of that? That particularly in South America, man. I mean, there's massive, um, you know. Excuse me for using the third person here, but Bill Steer worship in in South America. Are you aware of that? No, <laughs> not really. I mean, obviously we have played there, and and it's been fantastic. You know, we, we've played to to packed clubs and met lots of cool people um mm. yeah i mean I, I feel like with that kind of thing you know if someone's saying we've been influential that's great but i wouldn't take it too personally you know in the same way that i wouldn't take it too personally if someone slags you off um yeah you've got to have a kind of realistic balance to this um there are definitely groups out there and i can that i can hear have been influenced by carcass in some way whether it's the mm. early stuff or the later stuff where we were a little bit you know more melodic and there's a bit more finesse or whatever um, but that's the extent of it, because um, for every person who thinks of the band as, as uh, significant, there's another nine people who who scarcely know about the band um, and certainly aren't familiar with the music. Would, would you, you know, just just within the metal scene? Because I mean, the metal yeah. scene obviously is incredible. It's incredibly splintered now, so it's quite possible for somebody to like extreme metal, but not like the type of stuff that we've done. Or any or any of our peer group either, for that matter. Yeah, and that that confuses the hell out of me, to be honest with you, because as a forty three year old who remembered the impact that you had, even when you toured Australia back in ninety three, off the back of Heartwork, it was the first time I'd ever seen an extreme band featuring the newspaper, like mainstream press, like News of the World, our version of News of the World or whatever. But you guys were in there, and yeah, I, I remember the first time I heard Heartwork. I don't know, there was something about it 
I, I had I had Power Slave, I think, and then I heard Heartworker. I said, "It's it, you've basically taken it that forward, that same sound forward." And I wasn't aware of any of the uh, grinding stuff that you'd done beforehand because you know you're just a kid and you just don't know anything. But Heartwork, I even think I thought Heartwork is your first album, to be honest with you, back then. But um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's crazy. As I said, I said something similar to Jeff actually, and I'll, I'll ask you this: um, he he didn't agree with it at all, and I was, I, but I. I don't know. I didn't frame it as a question the way I should have, so I'll frame it with you this way, which is that, look, I've, I've, I've done a lot of research on this, and I think I'm right in saying this. Okay, um, I can go into as much detail as little detail as you as you want in terms of like to to sort of support the point, but I actually think you guys influenced the entire Swedish sound, and and my point around <laughs> that would be that before Heartwork, it all just sounded like. Um, you know what dissection were doing and all the, the, the like that sort of grinding death metal. It wasn't the melodic death metal that came afterwards, but just with the the release date of Heartwork, it actually predates the release date of when In Flames became like did that Gothenburg thing, and then you've got um, uh, Dark Tranquility, and the big one is um, and I know he had his brother in the band for a bit, but um, at the gates, um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But do you know what I'm saying? Did you did you feel any of that 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 you guys were responsible for the change in the sound of heavy metal? Because I certainly saw it that way, and I, th- I think I'm right to be honest with you. <laughs> well, I'd love it if you're you're right on this one. I don't know. I mean, are you more talking about whether we noticed this at the time? You know, back then, that era of the '90s, or or later? You know, in recent years. Um, more, more back then, because I was just trying to see, because I did a blog entry and I got a lot of support on it, um, which was that I remember, I'll just read it out to you, I remember the considerable shift in the underground after Heartwork, and I adore At The Gates and 90s era in flames, although I overlooked it, Dark Tranquility, blah, blah, blah. Um, I said, I just posed the question, those of you that were there back then, what do you think? Did Carcass change the sound of metal? My feelings are that without Carcass, the Gothenburg bands wouldn't evolve the way that they did and it's not a pissing contest either because I enjoy all the bands. But the reality is, Heartwork came out before these bands changed their sound. That's it, in a nutshell. Um, so I do wonder if they heard that and went, oh, here we go, game on, that sort of thing. Because there's definitely a shift in sound afterwards. Maybe. I mean, I've met some of those guys. I mean, you could say I, I maybe know a couple. Jeff certainly does. Um, hmm. I've not really heard anything of that nature from them. Um, you know, I guess one or two of the guys in In Flames uh, uh, seems to be admirers of our work or whatever. Um, mm. All I can say is it might have been a factor, but uh, I think there's other things going on. I mean, when I hear At The Gates, for example, um, stylistically, I think that's fairly different from us. Um, they they plough a different furrow. It's, it's much more kind of direct, um, and focused, I suppose. Our stuff is, you know, more sprawling. Um, so it covers more territory. But you know, if you really want the kind of, you know, heads down kind of meat and potatoes death metal with a mm. bit of, you know, melodic spice, that's what they deliver. Um, mm. So I, I'm definitely aware of that. That you know, for a lot of people, that band is what it's all about. Um, there are people who think that's where the melodic kind of strain of death metal originated, and um, they perhaps just don't own any carcass records. It's not their bag. 
Yeah, maybe that's it. I know. I've, I've had to rethink it a bit, actually. The reason I do so much thinking about this is I'm also an author, so I write books on this sort of stuff. And um, I, I, you, look, all you got, all you can do is put put theories forward, present my 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 facts to support the theory, and then say I rest my case, more or less. And um, it's just something that I think fans and aficionados like myself think about. You know, we're wired this way, so mm. this is the way our brain sort of goes to. You know, and because I get an yeah, opportunity, I, I... yeah. Yeah, I totally. I have that with with you know certain bands and artists I listen to. You know, after a while, you just develop these theories about what took place and what led to to something. Um, you're not always right necessarily, but it's just you know it. It's just fun to discuss this stuff with your friends, and um, sometimes it feels like you have nailed it. Like you know, you can see as a, as a fan mm. um, the, the lineage of something, the way it's the way it's kind of grown, um, and sometimes you feel like journalists are missing that but uh you know god i mean i I wouldn't really envy a music journalist these days because there's there's so much going on um it would be asking a lot of somebody to listen to an album um with their undivided attention from start to finish um i'm sure it doesn't happen that often right now no it's it's i've got to be honest with you it's very tough the only time i get i really do do it is when i'm preparing for things like this because i drive in the car quite a bit or I used to. God, mm. I have to walk around with my AirPods now with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I don't get a chance to don't get a chance to listen. To be honest with you, and on rare occasions, I've just got to sort of fast through forward through the album a couple of times. I'd hate doing that because you don't understand it then. Um, yeah, yeah. But but I think the the other thing too, and I've got to say, it is it's only really guys like yourself that know how to write albums too. You know why? Because you came from that era where albums were were the thing. These days, a lot of the um, younger bands that are coming out, they're not making albums. They're making one or two songs that they want to catch on on Spotify, and the rest is just there yeah. to support that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about this syndrome. I mean, I can't really, you know, I'm not keeping up particularly well. Um, Dan or Jeff are far more aware of what's out there right now than I am. But, um, yeah, I've heard about this quite a bit. Um and yeah, with some of the, the younger music fans that are coming through, I mean, we all know that, that often the very idea of buying a record is, is alien to them, but I don't think you can hold that against them if they've never known any difference. Mm. But the other thing that, that's, that's alien is, like, as you said, the concept of an album. They just like tracks and they'll listen to a track by an artist and they think it's cool. And then if they hear other stuff and it doesn't grab them in the same way or do the same thing that that track did, then I'll move on to somebody else. Um, yeah. It's just a different way of consuming music. And I mean, I, I guess no one can dictate to somebody how they should do that. But um, I'm still very attached to the album as a format over, over everything, you know, singles and whatever. Do you listen to much? Do you get a chance to, you, you kind of answered the question already, but are you, are you still, if you listen mm-hmm. to music, is it mainly stuff you already know or do occasion, on occasion does something come across your desk and you go, oh, that sounds good? Um, yeah, but it's more kind of, it's branching, um, outwards and well, quite frankly, backwards because, uh, you know, there'll be an artist that you like from the past. And then when you really explore their catalog at some point, something sparks you off in another direction. It could be one of the ex members and his new band or whatever it is, Mm. or something on the same label, um, the producer, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the way my music listening has gone um, for, for many years, I guess since probably I was in my early 20s, really. Um, 
you know, had been really uh, like a, a fervent underground guy into tape trading and stuff. Um, yeah. And a lot of that music, to me, still has exactly the same power. You know, if I hear it now, it sounds exactly the same. It kind of evokes the same feeling in me. But mm. um, I haven't had that so much with, with kind of contemporary and, and more recent uh, extreme metal. It's just maybe just being the age I'm at. They're, they're great at what they do. Uh, there's a huge level of proficiency, you know, as players. It's just there's something, certain things I'm listening, I'm looking for in the music that, that I'm not hearing there, you know, mm. um, which is fair enough because they, they're coming from a wholly different set of influences. So it's bound to be different, you know. What about Firebird? Is that is that something you'll ever resurrect or continue to do? Yeah, I do intend to do that um, because it's been off over a decade since we sort of ended that thing. And um, mm. initially, it was just a <laughs> feeling of relief, to be honest, because everything had been quite difficult. You know, anything, uh, just getting some recording dates and then trying to get the material in shape. Um, everything was a rush and kind of stitched together in a hurry. Um, lineup problems were probably the biggest thing yeah. that killed that band. Um, and then also, you know, I, I wasn't quite there yet. I mean, you know, in terms of put somebody leading a band, um, writing the stuff, uh, doing some vocals, um, I hadn't had enough experience to get to that point. And we, we never really did much in a way of touring so um that's the stuff where you get better at what you do so in a sense it even though there are several albums i find them to be quite patchy like there's some stuff that i, I still like and then there's other stuff that's just unlistenable to me because it's like unfinished demos you know the first time you played something or sang it so um yeah it'd be fun to have a you know a, a new challenge of that nature um and then maybe just make sure the quality control is a bit higher this time you know yeah that's what i'd be aiming for it's killer stuff. I mean, it was stuff that I thought that if the right backing had gone behind, because I love a lot of that that um, Jack Bruce stuff. You know what I mean, like the cream, oh, God, the, yeah. the power trio sort of stuff. But if you got the right backing, like Queens of the Stone Age sort of thing, you know, like with Placebo, you know, those sort of trios that were sort of springing up at that yeah. time. Um, you guys could have mm. been one of them, and you could have had mainstream success because, it, like, as a listener, as far as I was concerned, that the quality of the songs was certainly there. Oh, thanks. I mean, yeah, I feel that some of those elements were, were kind of in place or getting there, and then there was some of it that was just still a little bit off. Um, mm. With regard to the bands you mentioned, I mean, I think, yeah, they're trios, but um, they were doing the music that people wanted to listen to at that time. Um, I mean, I, I definitely remember, you know, say around, around the time we did the first Firebird album, 99, um, it was exciting for me because it was a new development in my musical life. But very quickly, you could sense that it was not the album that many people wanted to hear. You know, um, okay. yeah. timing is so crucial with music. You know, um, ideally, you want all the elements to be in place, and that's asking a hell of a lot. So, um, I think ultimately, it's not worth stressing too much about um, where your thing fits in with, with contemporary music. You just got to do what feels right to you um try and keep the integrity there um because you know then you'll just accept whatever comes your way um at, at least i was honest with this because if you go chasing you know some kind of uh acclaim or you know doing things that will that will garner more attention 
um, I guess yeah, it just leaves the music a little bit bereft of any kind of um, any kind of integrity or, or substance. Yeah. Well, I think people can tell too. Someone like myself can always tell if it's been yeah, forced. exactly. That. Yeah. yeah, people people aren't stupid. They kind of sense that stuff, really. If you're being real or not. Yeah, I mean, look, look for you. I mean, you've always had this beautiful melodic tendency. Um, you know, the the guitar interludes that you're doing in the middle and toward the end of "In God We Trust." Um, mm. Is that is that something you've thought about? Say. Like no doubt you got heaps of material like that on the riff vault and just recorded and stuff. So would, would that sort of stuff ever, as a complete album and that style, ever see light of day? Do you think? What you mean a more more kind of guitar based? Record? Yeah, just and even the the hand claps that you've got throughout that. You know those little touches. They all just work. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's funny you should mention the the clapping because um, that was one of Jeff's ideas when we were doing a lot of percussion. And um, it was one of those points in the session where, you know, the ideas thing was just wide open. So we'd done a lot of stomping and, you know, more conventional kind of uh, percussion like tambourine or triangle even. Um, and then the clap, clapping thing came up. It was just fun to do. And uh, I didn't really expect it to be quite as prominent in the song, but uh, <laughs> it works. I, I quite like it. Yeah, I, think, I love I think it. it kind of lifts that part. Yeah, well, I'm glad you do, yeah. I mean, I've had one or two interviews who have been a bit kind of like, you know, like you've, bro you've broken an unwritten rule, you know, in, yeah. in the world of metal. Oh, here but, we go. Um, look, you, <laughs> yeah. look, you know, the only answer I've got for them is that you're Bill Steer. You practically invented grinding death. So, you know, shut up. <laughs> Sorry. You wrote, you wrote the book, well, man. I mean, you can do whatever you want at this mm -hmm. point. <laughs> well, yeah, and also I think any artist can, um, you know, it's sort of like, who am I as a listener to tell some guy I've never met what he should be doing? I mean, I might have all of his albums and have a strong feeling about the kind of thing I want to hear from him, hmm. but ultimately he's being him and I'm being me, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, luckily, you know, we're all a bit too old to, to get hung up on that kind of thing. Um, you are going to get flack for certain stylistic uh, changes or developments in your music, <clears throat> you know, it, it's quite a, a conservative genre to be part of. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> big but that's, time. <laughs> that's part of the fun. Yeah, I mean that's part of the fun, though. You know, just just being aware of you know these invisible boundaries, but then still kind of pushing against them anyway, just to see if you can get a little bit more space for yourself creatively. Mm. Well, um, how did uh, Despicable? How was that received? Um, I. I honestly don't know because I I read so little of that stuff now. Um, I'm kind of relying on what people are telling me, um, mm. and I gather it was generally quite positive. Um, it wouldn't have really troubled us otherwise, because um, as much as we like the stuff on that EP, it is essentially the leftovers from the album recording session. So the original intention was to have this after the album release, oh, and wow. obviously okay. the whole world changed. Yeah. With the pandemic and the label, the label reversed it for for completely understandable reasons. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean that was fine, really. Mm. Mate, I'll make this my, my last question for you. You've probably got another one coming through. <laughs> no, I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I, I don't yeah. Think, when you um yeah well we we have had a conversation before. I don't know if you remember these sorts of things, but I mentioned to you that Ralph Santola told me that how great a guitarist you were when you guys were on tour together. And um, oh wow, Very yeah. Nice. 
Yeah, I know that was that. I remember him saying that that you were one of his favourite guitarists, and I think he meant it too. Um, he used to bring Chuck. He used to he used to uh, try and drag Chuck in to watch you guys do sound checks. Um, <laughs> he was telling me, yeah, that was, that was just one of those things that he told me about being on tour with you and stuff. But uh, my final question for you is, um, and I, I meant to ask it earlier, but I, I really wanted to ask you this for a while now. But necroticism. This is one of the, one of those godly albums for people who love grinding stuff. But I've got to be honest. Sometimes I feel like it's a bit of a transitional record. And I know I'll get a lot of hate mail for that. Mm. But um, <laughs> but given from symphonies, then you got necroticism, and then you go heartwork, and it's a big jump to heartwork. So do you do you feel it's a bit of a transitional record? Yeah, I do actually. Um, it's very much in the ear of the beholder, obviously, um, mm. like like all music. But yeah, I I would kind of agree with what you said there because. That record for me is us reaching for something um, that we ca- can't quite get to. Maybe um, you know, there's some some really nice moments on that album, um, but I'd be lying if we if I said that we achieved exactly what we wanted. Sonically, we certainly didn't. I mean, I wasn't happy with the guitar tone, um, and as we went out to do more touring, you could tell that some of the stuff wasn't really great for the stage. Um, you know, you'll be going through a section and, and you can just feel it. It hasn't quite reached the back of the room. Um, mm. Maybe it's not even reached the front row. I don't know. Well, but yeah. by the time we do hard work, yeah, that's a band that's done more road work. And as with this, this current album, Torn Arteries, um, you're hearing the results of that. Um, it's not something we discussed or, or planned. It just came out in the music. You know, mm. you have that kind of feeling drilled into you about how the music should be and and uh, what would lift a room um, and lift yourselves as well mm. so um yeah so in that regard i mean i'm very fond of necroticism but uh it doesn't mean as much to me as hard work um if you're looking at that era of the band oh great to hear yeah i feel that way too yeah the same way too yeah it's great great when the artist at the center the creator uh, has similar feelings and thoughts about um I mean, all of your records have just roll gold quality, but I just think heart, without hard work, metal doesn't evolve the way it does afterwards, if that makes sense. I've made that point. Like, you know, I think I actually think you guys are, are, are as important a metal as Celtic Frost. Um, and, wow. <laughs> well, well, think about it. I mean, particularly for you, mate, you've got to think about it, is that you're on Scum from enslavement to obliteration, especially from enslavement to obliteration. I think Scum sort of is that, that cult thing, but from enslavement to obliteration is when the momentum really kicked off. And then you've got those mm. first two albums and then Necroticism, which I know Necroticism is a lot of people's favourites. I think it's Jeff's favourite, if I remember. Uh, might be Symphonies or yeah. Necroticism, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It usually hovers between, between those two, but I think probably Necroticism, um, you know, I suppose the fact that the hard work is the biggest seller um, is going to turn some people against it. Um, you mm. know, that often happens, you know, you know, you don't want your, your favorite ACDC album to be back in black. <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I get you. Yeah. You know, I get, I get that. You know, if you feel like you've heard a record too many times, yeah, sometimes you, you go to a less obvious one and then that becomes your favorite. So yeah, fair enough. Mm. Mate, I'll let you go to the next one. Uh, even better and a pleasure the second time around. I hope to have a chat to you again, no doubt, with the roaring yeah. creativity you've got, man. It'd be killer, yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Andrew. My pleasure. No worries at all. So all the best with everything, and as I say, hopefully we can catch up again soon. 
Yeah, he's open. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Cheers, mate. Man. Cheers. Catch you. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with the one and only Bill Steer from Carcass, and he used to be in Napalm Death as well. Talked about Firebird in there. Probably doesn't get asked about Firebird too much these days, but uh, Firebird was uh, a killer band, as a matter of fact. Do check out his Firebird releases if you're so inclined. Look, if you like that conversation, there are plenty more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com, almost 600 in fact. And also please like, subscribe, share and all that bullshit. It does help. It truly does. Um, And if you can leave a comment too, that's the way we get around or the way we work in with social media algorithms and I tend to go up the food chain, so to speak. So if you liked what you heard, I'd appreciate it if you leave a comment, just leaving a pleasant comment. There you go. That'd that'd be appreciated. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time. It is goodbye for now.